today I want to talk about the gospel of the kingdom and why it matters so much. The gospel of the kingdom and why it matters so much. So today we're going to use a lot of different passages and scriptures and texts. And uh, we're going to go through them on on a summary kind of basis. Through the course of this series, we will go in depth into some of these very same passages that you're hearing today. So don't don't panic. Don't worry. If you don't understand, we're going to go even more in depth in depth as we go forward in this series. So the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom and why it matters so much. This brand new series offers us an exciting opportunity for us as a church to learn and grow together. It's been several years for me since I preached a series on the kingdom. But this is an important time in the history of our world and the history of our country for a series on the kingdom. I strongly believe that this series is necessary and applicable to the manner by which we view our world. Do we have a kingdom view? At stake in this series is the opportunity to critically examine ourselves as believers in Christ with the hope of discovering that we indeed view, act, and respond to the world in which we live through the lens of the kingdom of God. How we see our lives. Are we looking at our world through the lens of the kingdom of God? Imagine going to the eye doctor and tell you you need glasses and you want those glasses to help you see. Well, we want to be able to say, do we see our lives? Are we looking at our lives through this lens of the kingdom of God? There is no doubt that because of sin and its devastating effects, this world is hostile to those who trust Christ for salvation. Amen? You believe that? The world's hostile to those who trust Christ for salvation, especially in reference to the concept of living in the kingdom of man with ultimately having our allegiance to the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, the apostles had been arrested and they, they, they were brought forward before the Sanhedrin and they had the audacity before the ruling authorities in their world to say that it is better for us to obey God than man. I wonder what would happen if they took us before the Congress of the United States or the House of Representatives in Indianapolis or the city council and asked us, uh, to whom do we have our allegiance? <clears throat> Would we say it is better for us to obey God than man? That is the conundrum that we as believers are in today. We are in, in very real sense citizens of the kingdom of man. We move around in this world. We deal in this world. But also, and more importantly, we are citizens of another kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and ultimately, you have to decide to whom will you pay your allegiance. Do you have ultimate allegiance in the kingdom of man? 
or do you have ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God? And allegiance means like loyalty. To whom are you loyal? Are you loyal to the kingdom of man or the kingdom of God? In this series, we will uncover the tension of being in the world, but not of this world. We will examine ourselves and ask the tough question of how do we obey God in a world that is so anti-God? How do we stand for Christ in a world that promotes all that is anti-Christ? The core of this series hinges upon one very important dynamic. And we can sum up this dynamic in one simple question. What does the Bible mean when we see the phrase kingdom of God? Or in some cases, kingdom of Christ, which most scholars will agree and I agree are used interchangeably in scripture. So you have kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ, basically meaning the exact same thing. And so that's the core question. That's the core question. Now, in addition, the follow-up question to this would be, why is it so important for believers to understand what this means? Now, the Christian faith expresses the entirety of its hope in terms of, of the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. God. Our entire faith, the hope of our faith is this idea of the kingdom of God. This expression is clear in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the idea of the kingdom of God is deeply rooted and grounded in the confidence that there is one eternal living God who reveals himself to humanity and has a purpose for the human race which he has chosen to accomplish through Israel. Now because of this hope in the kingdom of God, the prophets of the Old Testament could announce a day when men will live together in peace and harmony. What a powerful day that will be. Amen? What a powerful moment that will be. Let me tell you how they announce it. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, Isaiah says this. He shall judge between the nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares now that means the sword will no longer have the use that a sword is designed for sword is a weapon right and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore look at what that said praise God that this coming kingdom Isaiah way back in in 700 BC or so spoke of a kingdom where there would be no more war the old folks used to say this 
I'm going to lay down my sword and shield and study war no more. Amen? Not only did the proclamation of Isaiah speak to a time where men would live in peace, but he also spoke to the resolution of problems in the physical environment. Now, understand this, and I've been talking about this all week long. When we were at the, uh, 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 the, the town hall, one of the things that, that we want to express is that sin has ruined everything. Amen? But not just human relationships. Sin has ruined the environment of the world in which we live. Do you think hurricane after hurricane would be hitting Hawaii and and the East Coast and Florida? All of these storms and massive storms, tornadoes. The other Sunday we were on our way to the Brinks house and some of the folks on the way there actually saw a tornado come down. Didn't quite get to the ground. But they saw it. Why does this happen? Because sin has disrupted the plan for God's environment. How God initially built the world. Sin ruined everything. So here's what Isaiah says will happen in this new kingdom. He says in Isaiah 11 and 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. Amen. In other words, what used to be an object of prey by a predator, watch this now, will become in the kingdom of God no longer an object of prey, but an object of partnership. Amen. Only God can change you from prey to partner. Oh, come on, that's, that's going to that's get you right there, right? God will take you from prey to partner. There are people that have been predators in your life that God is changing them so that no longer are they going to be your predators, but watch this, they're going to be your partner. Oh, see, you ain't getting this thing because you, you too used to folks being your enemy. God is going to make it so that your enemies, your predators, become your partners. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's wonderful in this kingdom. So these prophetic proclamations speak directly to this divinely authored hope for a course correction in our world. A change that removes the damage done by sin and the resulting effects. These Old Testament proclamations speak of the kingdom of God. Now, as we look to the New Testament, Jesus speaks of this hope in direct terms. In Matthew 4.17, Our Lord makes a bold announcement. It says, says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at that. The kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. From that time on. Now, what was that time? What does it mean? From the time he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. That's what Matthew 4 is about. The temptation in the wilderness. Right after that, he began to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm going to set some people free in here right today, whether you want to be free or not. The shackles are getting ready to come off. The jail cell door is about to be kicked open. The temptations that you experience in life are nothing more than a setup for you to declare the glory of the gospel. That's all it is. That's all it is. So when the enemy comes to tempt you, understand that what God is doing is that as you resist the temptation, he is setting you up to be in position where you can declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Somebody ought to give God some praise. There's your freedom. There's your liberty right there. Right there. The theme of the coming kingdom of God is central to understanding the mission of Jesus Christ. His teaching showed those who would listen and believe just how they might enter the kingdom of God. He worked many miracles to demonstrate and prove that the kingdom of God was now right before their eyes and among them. He taught parables that illustrated truth about the kingdom of God. Even when he was teaching his followers how to pray. At the heart of that prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, are these words. Your, or if you got King James, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a core value of that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will, Lord, be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's not one moment when the will of God is not done. And you look at me and say, but what about when Lucifer lost his mind? That was the will of God. Lucifer couldn't do anything without God already knowing and ordaining it to be so. See, the whole point of Satan being cast out to the earth and the whole point of sin happening was not to catch God by surprise. But it was so that God, through Jesus Christ, could show his great redemptive power in this world. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as Jesus faced death on the cross, he assured his disciples that he would share with them the happiness and fellowship of the kingdom. In Luke 22, verse 28 through 30, we read these words. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. So now I'm talking to the ones that hung in there. I'm not talking to some folk. Amen. 
You know, sometime folk might be with you one day. And the Lord knows <laughs> that tomorrow they may not be with you. He said, I'm talking to you who stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you. Look at that. I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. Look at that. You didn't know that hanging in there with the Lord would be so rewarding, did you? I give you a kingdom by assignment. Just like my father gave me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm giving you right. And I'm going to get into this later, but I got to throw this in now. I'm giving you right authority to be at my table. You know why all the neighbor kids don't come to your house for dinner every day? Now, I know it may seem like it (laughs) because they don't have right authority to be at your table. To be at your table, you must give authority and assign a seat for that presence. So you tell your children, don't you be inviting nobody over here. Come on, parents, help me now. Kids come through the door. Mama, I, Johnny and Freddie and James all coming to the house for dinner. Hold on. We need to talk. Huh? Why? Because they don't have the rightful authority. Who sets that authority? The master of the house. I wish I had somebody here. See this? See this? So he's giving you a kingdom. So yet when we ask the question of individual believers and even theologians, what is the kingdom of God? We get a variety of answers. But there is no doubt that the Bible clearly teaches us about the kingdom of God. Now let's take a quick look at what is said in scripture about the kingdom of God. First of all, let's look at what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so in essence, he, the forerunner of Christ, ushers in this concept that Repentance is needed because the kingdom of heaven is now here. Okay? John was prophesied to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, right? Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And that was John's role. And so he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And the Bible says that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. We're quick to get to the healing part, but we skip the gospel of the kingdom. The healing was to make sure that we understood That the gospel of the kingdom was the most important message. And so Jesus said that he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Now let's look at Paul. When Paul was in Ephesus and he entered the synagogue, it says in Acts 19 and 8. 
and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Three months. St. Paul, Paul did a series on the kingdom, y'all. <laughs> Amen. So I think I'm in good company. We're in good company at Bethel Church. We're doing a series on the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, here he is now, two years he's been in Rome. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now we see Paul teaching and preaching the kingdom of God was a central message to his, his preaching. Now let's look at Philip. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, the Bible says that Philip preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 8 and 12. So here you have something going on. Do you see a consistent theme in these verses? Jesus talked about the kingdom in most of his parables, and the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount was about the kingdom of God. Paul spent his life preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. The idea of the kingdom of God is so important that Jesus himself describes this importance in his directive to everyone that would follow him. Matthew 6 and 33. Here's how important the kingdom is. But seek first the kingdom of God. Anything that's first is important. The Olympics were just over, right? Last month or so. You didn't see anybody celebrating the one that came in last. I mean, I'm sure their family said, you did a good job. You worked hard. And at least you made it to the Olympics. But the person that got the gold medal was the one that came in first. So first is a position not only of prominence, but also of priority. And so Jesus is saying that I'm not just telling you that the kingdom is prominent, but the kingdom has to be a priority. Amen? Not a, not a priority, the priority. Let me put it like that. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And that list of things is that he has there in Matthew chapter 6 has a lot to do with, with the way in which we live life and how we look at life and all the things we want in life. And we tend to make those things more a priority than we do the kingdom of God. So he says, seek first the kingdom. What a clear directive. Yet if you view the contemporary church, this ideal that was so important in the ministry of our Lord and the early church leaders, when you look at us, it seems like a minor thing. We do not talk about our faith in terms of the kingdom of God. In fact, we seem to talk about our faith more in terms of the kingdom of man. Now, what does that mean? We talk about our faith about what God is doing for us. 
We talk about our faith in terms of our bills needing to get paid. We talk about our faith in terms of God only as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And he's all of those things. Don't get me wrong. But do we talk about our faith as those who've been called by God to usher in and to bring forth to the world the kingdom of God? Do we talk about our faith in terms of what we need? Lord, I need a new house. Lord, I need a new car. Lord, I need my children to get right. When I get to yours, just say something. Lord, I need a new job. Lord, I need this. Lord, we need a new church. Lord, we need more people in our church. We don't talk about our faith generally in terms of the kingdom of God. Do you know that if we sought the kingdom of God first, all these things, everybody say all. All these things will be added. That's right. One person got to give God some praise. All these things that you're talking about will be added to you. Kingdom priority. So, so, so here's why. Because I've, I've, I've thought about this. And I spent some time thinking about this. And you've maybe heard me say this before in the last several weeks. I've been saying this a lot. Here's why the kingdom is not a priority to us. Because we have allowed our sociology to become more important than our theology. That's going to catch up with you and get home. Sociology deals with interconnections and relationships between people. Theology deals with interconnections and relationships between you and God. And so sociology says that I got to keep people happy. And so in sociology, what we do is we do everything we can to keep people happy. In theology, there's only one priority, and that is to please the almighty God. Your theology must come before your sociology. So why the gospel of Matthew for this study of the kingdom? It is because... Matthew's gospel of the four, more than any other, focuses upon the kingdom of God. Matthew uniquely presents Jesus as king. Matthew begins his gospel with Jesus' royal genealogy, tracing his lineage back to King David through his earthly father, Joseph. Matthew is the only gospel who tells of the Magi coming from a foreign land to worship the toddler Jesus and to give him extravagant, royal-type gifts. You didn't come with frankincense to your cousin's birthday party. You didn't show up with myrrh to your, to your friend's anniversary celebration those were gifts that were reserved for a king now imagine these magi as they walked into this little room that was reserved for feeding animals looking for this king and ignoring the surroundings and seeing Jesus and bowing down and saying we found the king Hallelujah. Not 
in Herod's throne room. But in the little town of Bethlehem was a toddler who was born a king. So Matthew tells that story. He ends his gospel with these famous words. Where Jesus says, all authority. Everybody say all authority. All authority authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, note that in your mind. Write that down. All authority, not just in heaven, but heaven and in earth has been given unto me. All authority have been given unto me. What authority is that and where is he exercising it? Matthew, more than any other gospel or book, presents Jesus as king of the kingdom of God. Now let's take a look at this. Jesus and the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, you have this verse. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Now, we, we mentioned that earlier. That's what, that's what Jesus did. Matthew gives us here a summary of the Galilean ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galilee was a relatively small area approximately the size of the greater Chicago area. And in Galilee, there were 204 villages. And it was there that Jesus spoke boldly of the kingdom of God. The text says he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. This means he presented the kingdom in terms of good news. Everybody say good news. news. Okay, here's your text and here's your post. Here's your Twitter feed. Here's your hashtag for the day. Hashtag the kingdom is good news. Okay, I don't have it on the screen, but I just, just, I'm throwing this in for free. (laughs) Amen. You post that, send it out on Twitter. Go to your Facebook page and just put hashtag the kingdom is good news. And we need to understand that because the kingdom of God is not oppressive. The kingdom of God is not a negative. The kingdom of God is good news. Is there anybody here that believes that today? Okay. So he he presented it in our Lord's ministry. The arrival of the kingdom was good news. Now, let's look at this. What is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Part of the reason why we do not see more direct teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God is that it is a subject that carries some degree of complexity. As I stated earlier, theologians are not even settled on this idea of the kingdom of God. They're not settled on the exact definition of the kingdom of God. The question arises because the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God in a manner that is difficult for those of us who live in time and space to grasp. The kingdom of God becomes hard to grasp because it does not exist solely on one plane of existence. Now, all of us exist in one plane of existence in one way. You know what that is? The right now. The right now. Have you ever tried to live in the future? 
How's that working out for you? Huh? Oh, and I don't have to say this. What happens when you start living in the past? Something reminds you of something or somebody. And if you're not careful, your whole mind will go back to the past. Oh, I remember when. All right, come on back now. Come on back. Let me reel you back in. That's <laughs> so, so the kingdom exists not on this single plane, but on multiple planes of existence. So it's hard for us to grasp. The Bible declares a kingdom that is a present spiritual reality for all believers. The kingdom is a present. Look at somebody and say the kingdom's present. The kingdom is present. It is present. It is a present spiritual reality. Romans 14 and 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Ah, so the first, most important thing when we come together isn't the eating and the drinking. I know some of us come for the eating and not the meeting. <laughs> Amen. But, the, but, but the, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Paul says this, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. How wonderful is that? So the Bible says the kingdom's a present reality. Now the Bible also teaches that the kingdom of God is an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. See, if you inherited something, that means somebody died and left it to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it in most cases. Now, you might convince yourself that you did. Oh, I was real good to them. So they better left me something. I call my mama every day. But in essence, you did not earn what is left to you. So the kingdom of God is not only a present spirituality, it is an inheritance. Look at this. A future blessing that God will bestow upon his people when Christ returns in his glory. Matthew 25 and 34 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Somebody ought to shout right there. That's a praise right there. Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, don't miss that. Because even before sin happened in the garden, God had prepared this kingdom. You got that? Before God said, let there be light, he had prepared an inheritance. See, you ain't getting this because you operate in time and space. You can't do all them things at one time, right? You can't call something to existence and have something prepared already for that which you haven't even called in existence yet. See, y'all look at me like, that's how powerful God is. 
he called into existence something that he had prepared before it was even a need for it. Hallelujah. If I had a few Christians here, we might have church here today. I... So the kingdom is this inheritance. Now, let me tell you what else the kingdom is. The kingdom is a present realm. Now, I told you it's a present spiritual reality, but it's a present realm. Now, what does that mean? Another truth about the kingdom of God is that the Bible teaches us that the kingdom of God is a realm into which the followers of Jesus Christ have entered into by their faith in him. Colossians 1 and 13 says this. He has delivered us. Now, don't miss that this is past tense. Not that he will deliver us, but he has already. Oh, y'all ain't getting this thing. Some of y'all still waiting on your deliverance. I'm telling you that God has already delivered you from the domain. Look at the words. Kingdom comes from the word king's domain. So he took you out of this domain domain or this kingdom of darkness watch this and transformed transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son paul says it another way he says we've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light hallelujah we once were strangers and aliens alienated from the life of Jesus. But now we are fellow heirs with the Gentiles and the Jews together. The redeemed are already in the kingdom of Christ. You are already, if you believe the gospel, you believe in him, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you're already in. Look at somebody and say, I'm glad I'm in. I'm glad, glad I'm already in. Now look at somebody else and tell them, I know I don't act like it all the time, but <laughs> move on, pastor, leave me alone. That's Thank you kindly to stay out my business. I... <laughs> so the kingdom is a present realm. Now here's something else about the kingdom. The kingdom is a future realm. Say future, future. All right? In 2 Peter, verse 1 and 11, you have this. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance. Got to love this. An entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, yes, we're already in, but I told you the kingdom doesn't exist in just one plane. Now, I'll show you how powerful God is. You're in the kingdom, but you're on your way to the kingdom. Oh, y'all ain't getting this. You're in the kingdom. You've inherited the kingdom, but you're on your way to the kingdom at the same time. Oh, bless the Lord. Now, now, so the kingdom's future realm. The kingdom is present and at work in the world. The parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom teach us the truth of a present and active 
kingdom of God in, at work in our world. Everybody say, the kingdom of God is active and present. Now, I know you wouldn't, it doesn't really look like that. Because the church has become more about our sociology than our theology. So we don't look active with the theological precepts of God leading us. We're active in sociology. But we're not active in our theology. At least not the way we should be in many cases. So here's what Jesus teaches in this parable. In Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, here's what we see. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? Now, a parable is teaching you, remember, uh, uh, using earthly means to teach a heavenly truth. Okay? So he says, the kingdom of God, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Has anybody ever seen a mustard seed? Hold your hand up if you've seen a mustard seed. All right. So you know a mustard seed is a tiny little seed. One of the tiniest of seeds. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that mustard seed. It starts off real small. Watch this now. Your faith didn't start off, God, I trust you for everything in my life. It was hard enough to get us to trust God for salvation. Amen. And we know Jesus died for our sins. So, so, so we didn't trust him all with everything right away. Small mustard seed like faith. But oh, what happens when you have the audacity to plant that seed in good ground? What happens when Jesus and God waters the seed of your life with the power of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says that little old seed grows up to be a great tree and then others can find shelter in its branches. So it's active. Here's another thing he says. He says, he says, and again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, Leaven or yeast as we know it, it doesn't take a lot of yeast to make bread rise. Amen? Just enough, just a little bit. And you put it in there and all of a sudden bread is affected. It's changed from one state. And when heat comes, watch this now, bread begins to expand and rise rising in a loaf is not the natural state of bread something has to go in in society sin is a natural state that keeps society flat but when you add the leaven of Jesus oh my goodness what happens is that society is changed the kingdom is active it's active now watch this watch this And yet, 
Jesus says this to Pontius Pilate about the kingdom. In John 18 and 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. This says a lot to us today. We are fighting. Oh, somebody see where I'm going. We are fighting for the kingdom of man or a kingdom in this world. Jesus said that if my kingdom was of this world, Pilate, don't you know that all my servants, see what he's saying is, Pilate, you saw the crowd. You saw them out there, didn't you? You saw them when I was coming in Jerusalem the other day. And they had palm branches laid at my feet. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. You saw that, Pilate. If I wanted to, Rome would not have a chance. Are you hearing me today? I would call down legions of angels. I would would have all my subjects rise up. But see, my kingdom. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. It's bigger than the Roman Empire. See, the Roman Empire, as great as it was, was still contained by time and space. But my kingdom is not contained by time and space. My kingdom is in people and in, oh, hallelujah, and above everything. So, my kingdom's not of this world. And as we can see, the complex, the concept of the kingdom is a complex one, and it's hard to bring us to a central definition. So as I finish this up here, I want to, so how, does, how shall we define the kingdom of God? Let us do so by looking at the meaning of the word kingdom. We cannot hope to accomplish this without looking at our, uh, uh, this with, with looking at our modern understanding of the word kingdom. If you look at the modern understanding, you're not going to get this. But instead, we must look at the historical context of this word, which brings us closer to understand what the Bible means by this term kingdom. Webster's Dictionary says in this archaic section. Now, dictionary has an archaic section, which means this is the old way this word was looked at. And so in this archaic section, it says that a kingdom is the rank, quality, state, or attributes of a king. Royal authority, dominion, monarchy, and kingship. Now, that's the archaic definition. This archaic definition from Webster's helps us understand the ancient biblical teaching of kingdom. The primary meaning of the Hebrew word for kingdom, which is Malkuth in the Old Testament, and the Greek word Basileia in the New Testament is this. The rank, authority, and sovereignty exercised by a king. That's what kingdom means in the biblical sense. So the first and most important meaning of kingdom is the authority to rule. Everybody say authority to rule. The authority to rule, the sovereignty of the king. The kingdom may indeed be a realm 
It may indeed contain subjects, but a kingdom cannot be a kingdom without a sovereign ruler. Amen. So when the word of God refers to God's kingdom, it always refers to his reign, his rule, and his sovereignty. Not just to the realm in which it is exercised. So as I told you before, it's not limited to time and space. But it's really talking about God's sovereignty, his rule, his authority. So Psalms 103 and 19 says this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Right? Who established it? He did. Now you know you a bad somebody. When you establish your own kingdom. Huh? Even the great kings and queens of Europe had their kingdoms established by lineage. They were born into that kingdom. And so here's what God is saying. The word is saying about the Lord. He didn't have to be born into a kingdom. He was already a king. He was a king by nature. Nobody had to pass on authority to God. When you eternal, just by being eternal, that means you outlast everybody. And when you outlast everybody, you're over everybody. So the rule of God is everlasting. Therefore, he is sovereign over all for all eternity. The gospel of Luke makes this point of authoritative rule very clear in the New Testament. Luke, Luke 19, 11 and 12 says this. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, they thought that as they got closer to Jerusalem, that Jesus was going to bump Herod off. <laughs> That's what they thought. They thought he was going to march right on into the castle, into the king king's hall, and say, Herod, your time is up. A new king is here. That's what they thought. And he said to them that a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now there's some eschatology and some view of Christ in the future in this verse. There's a future view of Jesus Christ. And what that means is this. The nobleman, watch this now, didn't go away to get a realm. There was already a realm where he was. The problem was that realm didn't have a king. So the nobleman left the realm that he wanted to rule. He didn't go to get a realm. He went to get authority. Because every kingdom is defined by the rightful authority to rule. So here's what Jesus was saying to them. I'm like this nobleman. Right now, before Calvary. People don't see this authority. I'm going away. But when I come back from my father, I'm going to have 
the authority. And when I come back and I enter into this realm again, I will enter in with full authority to rule because all authority is given unto me. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. All authority. So God and only God has a rightful authority over all things. The kingdom of God is therefore his kingship, his rule, his authority. So when we seek first his kingdom, we seek his rule and his reign. In our lives. What or who is ruling your life? Now we understand that when we pray, your kingdom come. We are praying for the rule and the reign of God to manifest his kingly and sovereign power we are praying for God to put to flight every enemy of righteousness that God alone may be king over all the world thy kingdom come thy will be done when we pray your kingdom come we are praying the rule of God over your home when you pray thy kingdom come you're praying the rule of God over your family. When you pray, your kingdom come. You are praying the rule of God over your job. When you pray, your kingdom come. You are praying the rule of God over the city. When you pray, your kingdom come. You're praying the rule of God over the state. When you pray, your kingdom come. You are praying the rule of God over this entire nation. When you pray, your kingdom come. You are praying the rule of God over the entire world. That is why it's so important for you to understand the kingdom of God. And this series will unveil and unpack and unwrap what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Come on, let's give God some praise in this place today.